Welcome back, everyone. I am uh, especially grateful today to be joined by Katie Reed, not only a biochemist who specializes in nutrition, but I think everyone listening knows how we here at 33 Voices feel about the correlation between what we feed our bodies and how our bodies respond and perform. And I'm willing to bet today that you're going to hear a few things that just might surprise you. So Katie, thank you so much for making the time. Oh, thank you for having me. We talk a lot about business and we talk about a lot of about entrepreneurship, but without this piece, I don't think anything is possible. So first off, how is Brooke? Um, Brooke, my, my little girl is, um, about to turn eight and she's doing great. Um, she's, you know, actually right now in summer, um, in a theater program and, uh, is, you know, doing fantastic. And just share, I I know it's been well-documented, but just share a little bit of the story because one, not only is it remarkable to see the turnaround that you've achieved, but number two, I think it's a wake-up call, not just for parents with autistic kids, but for all of us. Yeah, it definitely was um, a wake-up call for all of us. Um, So yeah, my daughter was diagnosed with autism at the age of three, and um, we started going on a food journey, um, finding that that was really the only thing that we started noticing uh, behavior changes and and changes in her um, digestive system and bloating was when we started changing food. And we went through this journey, um, you know, starting off with removing gluten and casein first because it's so highly advocated in the autism community. And at that point, not understanding at all, you know, what's the connection between these class of proteins. And uh, and when we found ourselves with um, improved behavior, but yet still dealing with a special needs child on the gluten casein-free diet, I just started probing further and further. Like, you know, you know, I bet you the answer is, is in the food supply, you know. And, you know, the, the most basic question that I started asking, which I'm shocked, you know, that it took my fifth child to, you know, finally ask this question and even my own health was what am I eating? I mean, when I started really looking at ingredients, I realized I don't know what that is and, um, and started just really dissecting each ingredient and trying to discover, um, you know, do detective work to figure out what is the food manufacturing process behind a given product or given food. And uh, that led me down. Um, oh, go ahead. Are you about to ask a question? No, no. Oh, um, that led me down the journey of um, MSG um, because I realized that the gluten and casein class of proteins has a high content of glutamic acid, which is an amino acid found in all proteins. But the way that we're processing these proteins, you know, such as our cheese products and a lot of the snack products and our breads and crackers and so forth, um, the way that these proteins are being processed in the final product is actually freeing the glutamate from the protein and creating free glutamate, such as MSG or monosodium glutamate. But because it's a process and not something that was added in as a pure ingredient, MSG, it's not labeled as MSG. And so it became, you know, one of those things where I I realized that our diet consisted of quite a bit of MSG, even though there wasn't a single product that contained MSG on an ingredient label. And uh, so there was a, a, a portion of science here as well as detective work to kind of say, okay, what's the manufacturing process behind, you know, this given ingredient, yeast extract, you know, nutrient yeast, what, you know, what is that? Um, natural flavors. And, um, and so when I decided, you know, there was significant scientific evidence linking free glutamate, not only to autism, but a significant number of modern 
chronic illnesses that plague our society, um, such as Alzheimer's and diabetes, um, digestive issues, I decided I was going to try an experiment. You know, what would happen if I changed our diet? I went on the, on the experiment with my daughter and removed all enriched and fortified sources. And what I mean by enriched is that the food manufacturing process is actually intentionally trying to create free glutamate through the manufacturing process, as well as added. You know, so it's added as a, a, you know, a called an additive or an added ingredient. And when we did that experiment, I, I just, remarkable changes in my daughter's behavior. What we called autism completely went away, um, and she's no longer considered autistic. Which is, that, that to me is absolutely remarkable. And I, I have to jump around right to this issue of MSG, because, you know, there is so much misconception about MSG. We, we probably know very little about it. Put that in some context for me. You're, you know, one of the things that you really brought to my attention, a big epiphany for me in listening to your talks was when something says natural flavor, watch out. Yeah. And, and that's, that, that is a big watch out. So, you know, um, so first of all, why would food manufacturers want MSG in the food? It's because it's addictive. Um, it, it immediately binds to receptors on our tongue. These signals go to the brain. It goes to our digestive system. It goes throughout all our body. Um, but these, you know, are signaling saying, oh, wow, that tastes good. And even though there's no flavor associated with free glutamate itself, it enhances flavor on, of other foods, i.e. it makes, you know, tasteless food taste good. <laughs> and so we want to, you know, consume this tasteless food. And you think about, you know, food manufacturers are always struggling with trying to increase expiry and, you know, obviously taste because it helps their, um, the consumers buy the product. So there's a marketing advantage to adding MSG. But to label something as MSG, you know, there was a negative association with MSG. And so they don't want to um, reveal, disclose the free glutamate or MSG content on a given food. And they're not required to do so. And so you, you come up against a lot of these loopholes. So something like natural flavors, all that means is that it's extracted from something natural. Well, they used to actually create MSG before they found cheaper ways to do it. They used to make MSG from wheat because gluten is such a high-containing glutamic acid, you know, containing protein or glutamate-containing protein that they, they used to use that as a source to create MSG. Well, they still do. They just now don't call it MSG because they just hydrolyze the protein or they're putting it through um, processes that will start to free the glutamate. And they don't have to disclose, you know, what the final... MSG content in the food is. So natural flavors could be extracted from wheat. It could be extracted from, you know, anything natural, which gives a pretty wide open um, array of products to start out from, but it typically contains 30 to 60% um, glutamate. And Katie, what happens, we're all consuming it, obviously. And I say all just from a general context, we don't know we're consuming it. What are the major effects of, of MSG? Yeah, and it really hits people differently. Um, so we have, you know, thousands of glutamate receptors all throughout our body, and glutamate is also a neurotransmitter. Um, so it's involved in a lot of critical functions, and we need glutamate to function. But our bodies will make all we need where we need it and when we need it. Um, it's so tightly regulated, especially like in the extracellular regions of the brain, because it controls neural synaptic um, ex- excitation. It's an excitatory um, neurotransmitter, and so it's very tightly regulated in certain regions of the brain. 
And so thus that, you know, we make what we need when we need it. Um, But what happens when we have, you know, excess is that we start to increase the metabolism of glutamate in order to you know, metabolize, regulate the glutamate amount. And you start to increase, and our our bodies are plastic, meaning our bodies adapt to the environment. And so if you have an excess of glutamate, it's, it's trying to increase the number of glutamate receptors so that it can, you know, regulate this excess glutamate, or it's, you know, starting to increase a regulation of a critical component such as insulin. Um, When glutamate binds to a a certain glutamate receptor on our pancreas, it's responsible for secreting insulin. So you can imagine your body is then producing excess insulin that it may not need, leading to insulin resistance, which we um, know is increasing and is called type 2 diabetes. Um, And so your body starts to deal with, you know, over excess of all these critical components that it's regulating and something's bound to break. Um, and it, so it manifests itself differently. And, and as a result of the TEDx video, I'm, you know, receiving thousands of emails from people saying, oh, I realized it was um, causing all my heart issues. They were about to put me through heart surgery. And I, I realized it was all due to MSG. Um, acid reflux, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, I realized it was all due to MSG. Digestive issues, um, even leaky gut because your intestinal barrier is, you know, um, protected by these cells called glia cells. Um, well, these glia cells will start to pump out glutamate if it detects stress. And how does it detect stress? Glutamate concentration. So if there's an excess amount of glutamate, it starts pumping out glutamate saying, oh, we've got a stress response. Let's, you know, send the signals out and let's inform the rest of the body that we've got, you know, stress. And that's, it results, it results in inflammation. Um, and if you're looking at the intestinal barrier, it's going to start to wear the, the permeability um, or increase the permeability and can lead to leaky gut. I mean, that's one um, mechanism for leading to leaky gut. One of the things that I I just want to make sure that that our listeners understand is we all need glutamate for energy. But what you're saying is the access is what induces this inflammation that sometimes goes unnoticed, which is, you know, could be a crisis for people. Right. And and we... Um, we're evolutionarily designed to consume our glutamate in a protein form. That said, I mean, there is always, you know, um, small, tiny amounts of free glutamate in natural foods. And when I mean natural, I mean like, you know, comes from the whole, you know, from the ground. So like, for example, tomato um, is often part of the the misinformation with respect to free glutamate. Like, well, even natural foods contain it, so we're fine. Well, that contains 0.1% free glutamate as a part of that food, you know, on a um, weight per weight basis, that's, that's a small amount. We're talking about like some of these processed foods contain five, 10, you know, 15% free glutamate, um, on a weight basis. And so when you're, you have a lot of those types of foods in your diet, you're definitely getting excess, um, free glutamate in your system. And, uh, and you know, and I've lost the thread of your original question, but um, but but is, the, the, what I was saying is that we we produce it because we need it for energy, but the problem at where inflammation comes from is when there's excess. That's where a lot of these the processed foods cause the problems. Right. Yeah. So excess. I mean, and, and that's exactly it. The signal for a small, tiny amount of glutamate is as a different you know language, so to speak, um, than excess glutamate. Excess glutamate is the stress response that induces inflammation. Um, that's how our body sends um, a signal of stress. Um, that's one of the signals. And so, you know, if you look at inflammation and you, um, you can actually associate that the 
more severe the inflammation, the higher level of glutamate, free glutamate that will be at that site. That's exactly how our body is communicating um, inflammation response. But if that excess glutamate doesn't go away, you've got chronic inflammation that leads to all sorts of uh, other issues and cascade of chronic illnesses. Katie, tell me the problem with gluten. It's, I mean, I think sooner or later as a society, we're going to embrace that it is a major issue again. And it's just learning about food. It's really difficult to find gluten-free manufacturing places. So I know that it's, it's still in the infancy, but tell me the big problem with it. Yeah, and it's interesting. I just um, uh, organized a conference. Um, I'm blind my mind. Um, I had a conference where we had one speaker who was talking about gluten sensitivity specifically, and uh, you know it was you know it was interesting that he you know talked about gluten from a number of angles. Um, with respect to the MSG connection to gluten, um, again, like I said, because there's so much glutamate as part of this protein structure, and our modern wheat is gluten fortified, meaning that it expresses about two to fourfold more gluten than our ancient wheat did. So we've protein fortified this wheat, yet we're going through and selecting cultures, yeast cultures, that will intentionally proteolize or break apart that protein, which creates free glutamate just in the fermentation or the, you know, the bread making process. And so we've got this, you know, enriched protein fortified, you know, modern wheat um, that we're more and more processing it because these, you know, increased concentrations of yeast and all these other processes were subjected to. And at the end, we'd get this, a lot of MSG associated with our um, gluten products because we're not eating gluten or wheat raw. It's always processed um, in some way, even if it's just milling it in the flour and stuff, we're always, you know, we're always processing it. Um, and so that that's the one issue that I try to raise awareness um, of. I mean, there's obviously, you know, other people that are, you know, like celiacs are inducing an immune response to it. Um, there may be cross-reactivity to some of the peptides that are um, resulting from digestion. And so there's just so many issues associated with gluten that so many people find when they go gluten-free. And what I advise people when they go gluten-free, don't go to these, you know, manufactured <laughs> food, food products that are <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me, ever increasing um, with gluten-free, you know, go towards more whole foods and people feel so much better. So, and it's also one of the other things I want to bring up is that it's, it's found in almost everything. We discovered it with my daughter in tea bags, shampoo, alcohol, (laughs) and you can go on and on and on and nothing tells you there's, we just don't even think about it. Like who would think it would be in a tea bag? Yeah, <clears throat> or vinegars or, um, you know, soy sauces and things like that. Yes. And so, um, yeah, and, and I mean, gluten is, like, you, you know, you just said the body products. I mean, they put, and that, that's also associated with MSG. So are you did were you talking about gluten or MSG? Both. Which I, yeah, exactly. So th- there's so many um, body products that have hydrolyzed wheat, you know, which is which is MSG. Or it's, it's all a bunch of free amino acids that, you know, contains a significant amount of MSG. And I'm thinking, why would you do that? And I, you know, so I started reading, like, why would you put hydrolyzed wheat protein in um, a body product? And, you know, we've got glutamate receptors on our skin. So it may give somebody that tingly feeling initially, like they kind of associate feeling, you know, good after putting a body lotion on. And I'm like, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's just incredible that um, 
it's so rampant and in order a toothpaste mouthwashes dental floss i mean when we go to the dentist we can't find that they have a single dental floss mm-hmm. that's not flavored and so we we have to bring our own dental floss we have to bring our own toothpaste and it's like come on dental industry let's let's like you know <laughs> clean it up here <laughs> um, you can't find any of the products that don't have msg in it Katie, I personally gave up dairy well over a decade ago just because it didn't sit well with me. But the problem, it's much bigger than that, isn't it? Um, Yeah, I mean, for removing MSG out of the diet, it definitely takes more than removing gluten and casein. Um, Although those, you know, create significant benefits just removing those um, class of proteins from people's diets. Um, But it really is the processing of the food. And what... What I want to raise awareness of through my nonprofit, um, Blind My Mind, is that you can't even trust now an ingredient label. Consumers are not given information as to how a product was manufactured. And let me just give you an example is um, xanthan gum. Mm -hmm. You know, when I read the manufacturing protocol for xanthan gum, it's a 37-page manufacturing protocol you know, looking at all sorts of variables that they would try to do to optimize <clears throat> xanthan gum ingredient, but it's a fermentation process. And typically the source that they use for the nitrogen, um, you know, source for the um, cultures is glutamate. And so you get, you know, this these cultures that are, um, you know, thriving off of glutamate metabolism and amino, I mean, the amino acid metabolism, um, and they're able to extract xanthan gum there, but, you know, they're not required to remove glutamate as an impurity because it's not required to be tested at the end. It's not considered one of those, you know, hazardous chemicals or like solvents or anything that need to be removed. So they're not required to really require um, or required to label um, or disclose the amount of contaminant that may be there. So you get into these manufacturing processes and you, and that use glutamate as part of their fermentation culture and you just don't know how much free glutamate is a contaminant. Well, which is interesting because after listening to your talk, I found it in the coconut milk I drink. Yes. Yeah. Almost all non-dairy commercial milks contain, because they're so, um, the industry is so focused on the texture and, you know, how it looks and the appearance and it, it, that it doesn't separate, that they add things like carrageenan and natural flavors and things like that to um, give it a consistent um, appearance and texture. And it, almost all non-dairy commercial milks um are yeah have some sort of additive so i i encourage people you know start making your own that's the best way to do it and you you can you know you know the raw ingredients that go into it for those with an intolerance to dairy and casein in particular but either don't know it or don't want to admit it tell them what it's doing to their insides yeah so i mean you know raw milk you know i i found when i'm working with clients you know so seems to be tolerated um with people who are msg sensitive because the raw milk's not not um going through a process. But anytime you're starting to pasteurize and homogenize and ultra pasteurize and so forth down the, you know, cheese line, yogurt line stuff, you start to create more and more um, free glutamate. Um, But the, you know, you start to create a lot of inflammation right in the gut. And so, I mean, you think about uh, the gut is really where all um, our health issues probably start um, from our microflora changing to uh, inflammation in the gut, how our digestive enzymes are um, responding to our food, um, and then you know resulting in intestinal permeability. A lot of our issues are starting right with our food, right in our gut, and our trillions of microorganisms in our gut um, 
are known to provide either health benefits or chronic illnesses, depending on exactly what our food is. You talk about, and lots of other people talk about food being an addictive behavior. You repeatedly say that a lot of people say it. Tell me, is there a, have we discovered science behind the why food becomes addictive? Yeah, that's fascinating too. Um, the, you know, I, I think we're really at the tipping point of really understanding because as we more and more understand the the trillions of microorganisms, you know, our microflora um, in our gut it's known that they're very adaptable and, you know, they are there to survive. They're not looking to sit there and, and say, oh, what's good for the human host? No, they, they're looking out for themselves, <laughs> kind of like a lot of people in the world. <laughs> and so if they find that they're able to change their metabolism, and I'm going to focus on glutamate because that's been my passion. So if they're, you know, being exposed to a lot of glutamate, a lot of these organisms can change their metabolism to start utilizing glutamate for energy. And they know that they, if they induce inflammation in the host, that they can start to supply their own glutamate and they're thriving on glutamate. And I don't think we even understand just how much they then drive the behaviors associated with addiction and what we're eating. But we know, for example, yeast and you know the, um, the sugar metabolism that many people People who have um, yeast overgrowth have such strong cravings for sugar and are, you know, addicted to the sugars. Um, and I don't think it's, you know, any um, coincidence that the yeast, you know, thrive on sugar metabolism. Hmm. Um, and so I don't think we even understand just exactly what microflora populations are driving what addictive behaviors. But I think a lot of it's dri- driven by the trillions of microorganisms in our in our ecosystem, our human ecosystem. And Katie, for someone who wants Change is tough, I know, but for someone who wants to make a change, what's a good way to start to change course to start small? You guys didn't start small. We didn't start small. We dove right in. What do you recommend that somebody recognizes what you're saying and wants to make a change? What are the first two or three things you want them to do? Yeah, and you know, I approach um, people who want to make a change in different ways. Whether people want to wean off slowly or go drastically, um, and you can't be, uh, you know, a little bit pregnant, nor can you be, you know, a little bit, um, you know, gluten free. Um, it, it's one of those things where if you're, if it's really not agreeing with your system um, or the MSG, if you do have an MSG sensitivity, you find you really can't have a lot of these foods, you know, especially processed foods, or going out to restaurants um, because you you end up suffering significantly. Um, as a result. So what I advise people to do is, you know, if you're going to do it, go in it wholeheartedly and observe the change, you know, for five weeks and determine whether or not the lifestyle change is worth it in terms of health benefit um, versus the work and labor, you know, for making your own foods and and preparing foods, you know, spending more time doing that. Um, But what I advise people to do is first come up with a plan, you know, trying to raise awareness of where is MSG hiding in your food, um, really become aware first, and then getting rid of the, the offending foods while you're finding replacements. And that's what I, I find, you know, is really important for people. It's like you got to know what to put in. Otherwise, people are just going to be spinning wheels trying to figure out, okay, I can't eat this, but I don't know what to eat. Um, and I think the, you know, go full throttle in as quickly as possible is the best way to combat the addiction. Because if you're doing the weaning approach, you're still, um, you're still feeding the addiction. And you think about 
a drug like meth- methamphetamine, you know, a seriously addictive drug, you can't just have a little bit of methamphetamine and, and feel like you're going to be able to wean off. You have to cut yourself off, get off the addiction, and that's the only way you're going to heal from being addicted to your foods. And it's very liberating to not feel addicted to your foods. It really is. Um, I never would have thought how how addicted I was to my foods until I went through the transition. And I remember feeling like, you know, a little irritable, you know, there definitely are withdrawal symptoms and you're like, gosh, I just want to have my, you know, big old bagel or, you know, you just want some sort of goody, you know, is no longer, um, open to you. And, um, but, you know, I just say to people, just think of it as, you know, you're getting off an addiction and just try to be patient with yourself. And, um, as soon as you realize you went over and, went over to the dark side and had, you know, one of those offending foods, you know, just recognize it, recognize how you feel, associate those negative feelings and just go right back and, you know, keep clean, um, on the diet because yeah, it's, you can't just do it part way. Katie, do we have a certain tolerance for MSG? I mean, is there a certain level where we can tolerate it without seeing significant impact? Yeah. And, and the people's tolerance is all individual. Um, and, and what I, what is interesting though, is many people, and I mean, when I was working, um, in a a medical device company that had, you know, quite a number of employees, like 500 employees. And I certainly influenced a lot of people about, you know, raising awareness on, you know, where MSG was in the diet, but there was definitely quite a few like, oh yeah, give me the MSG. It doesn't affect me. But what they didn't realize was I was that I could see their behavior. I could see this high anxiety level. I could see, you know, depression that was, you know, and I'm like, they don't, realize that it's associated with their food, these people would be somewhat overweight. And, you know, so they, what people think they're tolerating, they really don't know how it's affecting their health until you actually do the experiment. Um, so people may think they have a high threshold or high tolerance for it, but it's likely impacting them in silent ways or even much more obvious ways that they just have not put the connection together yet. Um, so I think people like my daughter is the canary in the coal mine. There's no doubt about it. I mean, she is very sensitive. And I do think there may, you know, have been some sort of um, microflora imbalance or something that we really haven't quite figured out the root cause as to why she is so sensitive. Um, But when I found, you know, I ended up doing the experiment with her, my pollen allergies went away. Um, I ended up losing weight. I ended up getting rid of these headaches that I had all my life that were just due to mucus production and it caused a lot of sinus pressure in my head. All of that went away that I would have never have dreamed was, you know, due to my foods. Um, and so, you know, I think if you look at allergies, well, you're talking a lot of people. So, um, I just don't think people realize how it's affecting them, but, um, individual threshold, I always tell people like, you know, find out what your individual threshold is where you feel like you, you are really living healthy, um, and not complaining about common ailments every day. Well, you just mentioned something that I think is also an issue that we're dealing with more so in this country than, than I think anywhere with our energy level. You see the majority of people have very low energy level. You mentioned headaches, you know, you get lots of people who get headaches. I don't know if it's because caffeine or whatever, But those are the types of things that are signals that sometimes we don't pay attention to. 
Right. I mean, I, I did all my life. I just, you know, in fact, you almost define normalcy as this like, oh yeah, I've got a little bit of a headache. At least it's not a screaming headache. Oh, it must be a good day. Um, and so you kind of like, you know, it's all relative. And um, I had no idea that the, the sinus pressure in my head was due to my foods. I mean, and I, you know, I used to have allergies when I was younger and getting allergy shots and um, my pollen allergies would like put me down, make me feel sick probably two months of the year. And it just completely went away. Interesting. How about supplements? Are there any nutritional supplements that you feel good about? Um, you know, the more and more I research it, the more I feel like the more, you know, and, and unfortunately we have such issues with our food supply, but, um, you know, we started out with a supplement approach because I was reading nutritional books and I, or nutrition books. And I was like, you know, I really want to make sure she's not dealing with a nutritional deficiency. Um, but as I went through the journey, I, the more I could replace the supplements with whole food and nutrient rich foods, I, I replaced them um, because the more I started looking into these supplements, they, they also are very you know processed, um, some more than others. A lot of them contain natural flavors, especially those that are targeting children because they want them to taste yummy. Um, and you know you end up dealing with a lot of processing in the supplements. And so um, you know fish oils is one of those that it's, it's hard because it's like okay you hear about the mercury levels and you know salmon has such great you know fish oil properties, but it's also a big you know bottom dweller fish and you wonder what the toxin levels are if you eat too much salmon. So you're trying to like weigh, you know, some of the other food issues, um, with, you know, the MSG that might be in supplements. Um, but my advice to people is like, try to get a whole food nutrient rich, um, source in your diet so that you don't have to take supplements. There's a great video on your website where you're actually, as you know, walking through that grocery store with a camera, which is, I think, you know, brilliant. But can you give everyone listening a sense of your household diet? Like, what do you guys eat? What do you have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And I know that it was just Brooke that was impacted, but I know that the other four kids as well are probably adhering to this, you know, unless they're off to college somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so all the four older ones are teenagers, and so you know, when we're when they're home and the food that's you know offered to them at home, you know, it's it's very much you know compliant with a, a good you know healthy diet. Um, but when they go off <laughs> uh, driving on their own, they're yeah, they're kind of <laughs> they're kind of steering to their in their own direction there. But um, at home, yeah. So I mean, eggs are a big part of our diet, and you know, the one thing I do find challenging is when I'm trying to advise people um, on a vegetarian diet. Um, if they don't eat eggs and they don't eat any meat. Um, you know, the B12 and, you know, some of the um, carnitine, you know, it's, it's challenging to get that then without supplements. Um, so I, I sometimes will recommend supplementation, um, for, for vegans or vegetarians. Um, but you know, our, we do eat meat, we do eat happy kind of, um, animals before they are, um, (laughs) given to us as meat, but, um, (laughs) you know, the grass fed pasture raised, um, eggs and chicken and um, grass-fed meats um, are what we eat because we don't want the toxin loads in the foods. And uh, for breakfast, you know, so eggs is a a big one, you know, steel-cut oats. I know a lot, you know, like the the paleo diet doesn't allow oats, but again, it's like if you do the steel-cut, it's less processed. And again, in moderation, we do not have, you know, we maybe have oatmeal maybe once a month or something. Um, 
sweet potatoes for breakfast, um, always the green smoothies. So the smoothies always got the kale, um, almonds. Almonds have a great source of calcium. Pumpkin seeds have a great source of magnesium and selenium. And so we do a diversity of ingredients right in our raw, on our smoothie, um, all raw organic foods. And so if, if, you know, everybody drinks their smoothie before they go off on their day, I feel like, okay, even if they just eat that, I feel like they gotten a good start. Um, and so on top of it, you know, we just try to get some other items in there, but, um, you know, nut butters, um, on apples end up being a, you know, great, you know, snack. Um, we'll make our own sometimes organic, you know, popcorn as a snack, um, you know, rice cakes with like a salmon salad or a tuna fish salad. Um, I love guacamole and adding all sorts of, um, you know, like black beans in there sometimes or, um, salmon into a guacamole to add some more protein and just kind of, um, you know, add a bunch of variety to dips. Kids love dips. Yeah, and so, yeah. so do adults. Yeah. Yeah. And you just, you know, Especially give them a bunch now. of, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, give them a bunch of raw veggies and, you know, um, you know, put some dips in front. And I find that, I mean, the family would eat healthy right there. As long as I'm sticking food in front of them when they're hungry, um, they, they'll eat any green vegetable I put in front of them with a dip. <laughs> and does Brooke have that morning smoothie as well? Oh yeah. Yep. And she's she's bought into it and likes it. Yeah. You know, and it took a lot of bribery initially and, you know, I would try to figure out what she wanted to do. Like if she wanted to play a game like hide and go seek or something, I'd be like, you know, how about this? Every time somebody's it, they, you know, we drink, you know, a sip of smoothie. So initially it was definitely a bribery until it was established as routine. Um, and now it's routine. Um, so she obviously likes it sweeter. You know, um, I, I started, you know, doing mine with a lot less fruit, but, uh, so I'll pour mine off first and then add a couple dates to hers. (laughs) Um, but, yeah, she she doesn't uh, you know protest it at all anymore because it's it's been her routine for four years now. Katie, your work and your impact is just beginning. How can we help you? Number one and number two. How can we cr- the, invite the people who are listening to this to start play, not only paying attention to their own diets but to follow your cause? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, cause I do feel like this is, you know, it's gotta be a grassroots effort to kind of demand food. So, you know, the more that we have the population demanding healthier foods with better labeling practices, um, you know, the, the more that the industry will respond as opposed to trying to regulate the industry and tell them, you know, how to do it, which has been, you know, people have tried, it's not get, getting very far. Um, so I did start a nonprofit on Blind My Mind. Um, and the website um, will list all the different various ways that, you know, free glutamate can be in an ingredient. Um, to just raise awareness of how how pervasive it is, and you know, I work with clients to help them um, transition their diet, especially those with autism, ADHD, um, anxiety, depression. Um, a lot of these that are dealing with more critical um, health issues are definitely motivated to make a change. And so, you know, I work with people either in a workshop level, um, I do lectures at schools if people are, you know, interested in bringing this to the school because it takes change. Um, You know, many people say, I feel so isolated and how do I, you know, my child's always exposed to these foods at school. 
And I'm like, yes, let's let's change school policies. There should be a no food sharing policy at schools. Schools shouldn't be putting themselves in liability for exposing them, you know, other kids to, let's say, cupcakes, you know, 30 birthday, you know, <laughs> celebrations throughout the given year. And it's like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous what we're exposing our kids to. So, you know, let's let's tr- start making changes um, in our own communities and keep broadening out um, until it reaches across our nation and really across the world. I, you know, there's, we've got this, this is a worldwide issue. Um, so yes, I'm blind. My mind um, would love, you know, support. Um, any donation is receives a free pantry list as well as recipes. And, uh, you know, we also take volunteers, anybody who wants to sign up as part of the, um, the cause and the mission and start spreading the word about just, you know, some of the food manufacturing processes and um, what, where MSG is hiding in, in the diet. There you have it, Katie Reed. Hopefully many more to come. But uh, head to, uh, t- not only head to her website, but more importantly, make a change in your own life. Katie, thank you so much. Thank you. 